everybody to Couch to Couch, Making Therapy Make Sense with Chuck LeBlanc. Today I have Amanda Nielsen with me. Uh, for the past 20 years, Amanda has provided counseling to people struggling with problematic substance use and substance use disorders. In partnership with Rita Wood Addiction and Family Services and Algonquin College, Amanda developed and implemented the Umbrella Project. You can find the Umbrella Project at www.algonquincollege.com slash umbrella project. It is a harm reduction framework for post-secondary institutions. She also has the pleasure of teaching part-time at Algonquin College in the social service worker and dual credit program. Throughout her career, Amanda has provided training for professionals and community members, as well as speaking at several different conferences such as AMHO, CCSA, CACUSS. 14 years after finishing her bachelor's degree in social work at Carleton University, Amanda completed her master's in social work at the University of Victoria in 2020. She recently began a private practice providing therapy and training specialized in problematic substance use and substance use disorders from a trauma-informed lens. Amanda is facilitating a full-day training in Canadian Council with Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association on November 27th, titled Substance Use, A Human Response to Trauma, A Compassionate and Effective Framework. I love that, and I look forward to hearing more about that. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a pleasure being here. You're very welcome. I'm excited about today's conversation. It's the first time we've had an in-depth conversation about this particular topic, problematic substance mm -hmm. use. And But before we launch into that, because you can already hear the excitement in my voice, I wanted to just invite you into plug up any holes I might have missed in the bio and help people find you. Yeah, so um, my I started private practice February of this year, and I can be found at amandanelson.com. A lot of the information is there. Um, what else can I say? I've been working with, uh, with Rita Wood Addiction and Family Services for the past 13 years, specifically with um, the last seven years with adults and mm -hmm. previous to that with youth. And so, yeah, it's been, um, it's been a, a it's crazy that it's over 20 years that I've been working in this field and it started uh, working with youth, working in drop-in centers and group homes and then the shelter system. And this is where I started seeing the impacts of problematic substance use and the cycle that people get into. And I've also seen the field grow and change and sometimes stay the same um, over those past 20 years. Yeah, that makes sense. That's an in-depth, well, you know, hands to the ground kind of work you've been doing for 20 years from the bottom up. And in so in the beginning of our conversation, when we first met, we were talking about uh, kind of the background that you come from. And I had used the word substance abuse and addiction. Yeah. And you had said something that I thought was really important. So I wanted to just revisit that to launch us in. Yeah. And part of what you had said was that you wanted you take it from the stance of understanding it as a problematic substance use instead of abuse and addiction. Oh, so again, another example of how our language uh, is ever evolving and how important language, how important it is that language evolves. So you know, when we're talking about, when we call it substance abuse, when we call it addiction, 
there's a lot of co uh, connotations. When we say a drug addict, when we say an alcoholic, we're putting the issue that the person is struggling with in front of the person. So they're no longer a human being. They're no longer a person. They're that person. They're them. They're over there. Uh, those people. Um, and it really dehumanizes what is actually a very human issue. Mm -hmm. uh, the title of my upcoming um, training, Substance Use, a Human Response to Trauma, is because problematic substance use and substance use disorder is a natural and normal response for human beings trying to be okay. Mm -hmm. You know, it's an adaptive behavior. So being able to use more neutral language, being able to use person-first language is really about bringing that human back into the picture. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of really good, really good reasons why people continue to use alcohol and other substances, even when it's causing problems. And so, you know, I'm so pleased to be uh, on your show today because I love discussing um, understanding problematic substance use and substance use disorders from a more compassionate uh, framework mm -hmm. and, and really on how this is a human issue, not a them issue, not a those, those people issue. Um, and it's one of the things that I've seen is that there tends to be a focus on the use Mm -hmm. Right. If you just stop using, everything will be fine, mm -hmm. which is actually not often true. Mm -hmm. And so though the substance use can cause issues, it is often, in my experience, it is much more, um, much more often a symptom of an issue. It's mm -hmm. a symptom of trauma. It's a symptom of chronic stress. Um, and, you know, taking away you know there have been we've seen different waves of kind of best practices and of course one one wave wave was within the disease model you can't control how much you use because there's something wrong with your brain so what you do it's like an allergy don't use it at all complete abstinence that's very limiting and can be very challenging for a lot of people when that the use is what's helping them function Mm -hmm. So by saying, nope, take that out, you're leaving this human with no other coping skills. So I'm going to go on lots of tangents because this is just, I love talking about this. So please, please stop me at any time. But this is one of the reasons that I come from a trauma-informed and harm reduction approach. Mm -hmm. Even when my clients uh, have goals of complete uh, abstinence, the harm reduction approach recognizes there are a lot of benefits to use. Mm -hmm. Right. As I mentioned, the functioning, it also meets a lot of fundamental human needs. Mm -hmm. So when we think about fundamental human needs beyond um, food, shelter, clothing, we get into things like love, belonging, achievement, mm -hmm. identity, freedom from pain. And what we know about substances is that they temporarily meet all those needs. Mm -hmm. And so as a human being, we do what works for us over and over and over again. So if we have, if we have not been given, if those needs haven't been met in other ways, and we find something like alcohol, we find something like cannabis, we find something like cocaine that helps us get those needs met, then of course we're going to use over and over again. Mm -hmm. The harm reduction approach is also about 
it working where people are at and collaborating and really seeing their goals as valid, even if it's not, you know, abstinence and that not everybody has the goal of absence, nor everybody wants the goal of absence or everybody needs the goal of absence. So this, this, I know we start talking off with language and it, it does really spark a lot because it's not just changing the words, it's changing how we think about substance use and how we think about problematic substance use. Yeah, I really like that. I mean, there's so many things to unpack in what you were saying from language to compassion to coping mechanisms and how they are informed through trauma. Like, what does it look like and what does that mean? And I know on the language front, I mean, part of my background is uh, through philosophy. So I, I look at language a lot and I look at a lot of what, how do we construct the lens in which we engage with the world and where does this come from? And you have like a biopsychosocial perspective as well as a philosophic perspective, which ties it all together. And linguistically, it makes sense to change your language because your language helps to craft your view. So I know that when, when we started and I was using the word uh, abuse, for instance, it never occurred to me how I was looking at it. But as you were unpacking it, it did. By saying that, I am putting the problem first and then seeing the person later. Almost like the person's a symptom. So we just need to do this. Even though I do understand through a trauma lens, uh, and this is how I encounter clients myself, that when substance uh, use is in the picture, I never look at that in the sense of judgment. You can't judge that because it's a coping strategy. It's the only tool you've had and it's worked. And it works in a uh, immediate sense long-term consequences be damned but only because that's not what's at issue right now if you're right if your pants are on fire mm-hmm. you need to mm-hmm. find the water to put them out yeah. you're not worried about what you're going to wear to a job interview yeah kind of yes <laughs> and so uh so that's the language perspective i really like about that because it helps us as practitioners for one but it also helps someone in the midst of a problematic substance use scenario because through addictions, I take it in abuse. I mean, that's a way to vilify yourself in a way. Oh, the shame, right? Mm-hmm. The amount of shame that we put as a society that we put on people who struggle with substance use, the amount of shame that then gets taken on by the individual mm-hmm. who's struggling with substance use. And it's it's fascinating because that it's very much coming from a moral model, which mm-hmm. says if you are having problems with alcohol or other substances, it's your fault. You're choosing the substance over your family. You're choosing the substance over your job, et cetera, and so on. Um, and this shame is you know, shame is the solution if we believe it's a choice. And I'm not saying it is, but um, when we come from that place of, oh, I believe it's a choice you're making, so I'm going to punish you Mm -hmm. for making that choice, that is where the shame comes from. And what isn't understood uh, from that perspective is the more shame a person feels, the more they're going to use their coping uh, skills. And if their coping skills is substance use, right? Mm-hmm. Then there we start seeing the cycle. We also live in the, uh, the society that loves drug use. In particularly, mm-hmm. we love our alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a, a society where alcohol use is ingrained, right? Mm-hmm. What do we think most people do New Year's Eve? 
St. Patty's Day, May mm-hmm. 2, 4, summertime, patio season, awkward dinners at your families mm-hmm. or in-laws, right? You got a job. Let me take you out for a drink. You lost a job. Let me take you out for a drink. You're getting married. Let's have a drink. You're getting divorced. Let's have a drink. And so it's quite interesting because even though it is ingrained in our society, we vilify those who struggle with it. Mm-hmm. And often because it was like, well, this whole population can use and they don't have a problem with it. So it must be you. Uh, versus this is a person who is struggling with mental health, who's struggling with trauma, who's struggling with chronic stress, who's struggling with identity, um, who's struggling to sleep. And Mm -hmm. in all of these situations are just trying to be okay Mm -hmm. and have found something that has worked, you know, again, temporarily. I mean, temporarily can be a long time, but temporarily. And it's only when that solution, when that solution becomes a problem right? That there's issues. Yeah. I wonder if, uh, from a societal perspective, so let's, I'm going to bring in a little bit of Foucault here because you sparked something. So this is going to be completely off the cuff here, (laughs) but I'm wondering if one of society's tendencies to, to demonize this, to push people aside is like a form of projection, almost like we're all teetering Society is built like we're teetering on the precipice of an addiction situation. And so when it happens to somebody, we're like, oh, fuck, go over there. You know, I don't want to see that. It's like a classic psychological projection. You know, and I think in the pandemic, many of us may have experienced being on that precipice. Mm -hmm. Right. Again, we're talking a long term chronic stress. Mm -hmm. How have people been coping? You know, what's the, you know, the use been like the spending, the gambling, right? Ways of like trying to self-soothe mm-hmm. all those pieces. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. We're like, yeah. oh, God, you know, that could be me. It's not. So it must be you. Mm-hmm. Let's get this away from me as fast as possible and has nothing to do with the people yeah. we're looking at. Yeah. And so what's when we again as a a grander society i'm not saying individuals that are listening to this podcast or um but as a society when we blame and shame someone who's struggling with substance use we come up with punishment right Mm -hmm. both in the criminal the legal system uh financially uh families families believe this is how we operate and i really challenge folks to think about how what would be different if we saw every single person who is struggling with substance use or struggling um, with substance use disorder as oh that's a symptom of trauma how that would change our treatment like our literally how do we treat others to the treatment that we provide mm-hmm. um the money that is that is um get um, put into this field invested into uh, supporting others I think it would be quite fascinating because it shifts that idea from oh this is a choice to oh this is someone doing the best they can they're struggling they have trauma and I think that the mental health field has done a really really great job in the PR right like we've Mm -hmm. come a long way in being open around depression and anxiety and OCD and psychosis and schizophrenia and not to say that there's still not stigma because there is Mm -hmm. 
but we've really normalized and validated and, you know, depression happens and there's, you know, there's support there and you're not Mm going to be judged. We're not there yet with substance use disorders. Mm -hmm. And I would really like to see us get there because how we understand the problem dictates our solutions. Mm -hmm. So if as a society, we understand that problematic substance use and substance use disorder is a symptom, then that's going to shift how we uh, how we support people. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause then, and so in my own practice, what that looks like is we talk about um, how to, how to emotionally regulate, mm-hmm. talking about working with the nervous system, talking about the window of tolerance, mm-hmm. uh, talking about, you know, oh my goodness, all the other things, looking at cravings as not just a physical reaction, which it can be, um and a physical motivation because that's how our bodies work when we've had something over and over and over again but also what are you looking for i often ask clients Mm -hmm. when you're craving what are you hoping that that substance gives you Mm -hmm. and it's peace relaxation numbing cutting out it's the functioning Mm -hmm. and so all of those things when we take it, when we stop making it about the substance use and start making it about what are you needing right now, mm-hmm. we open up a whole other, um, whole other mansion of opportunities to find other ways to help that person, support that person getting what they need so that they don't have to rely on the substance that they know works. And as you mentioned, mm-hmm. works quickly, works effectively. Um, yeah and does exactly what it's designed to do and this is what we this is what we don't talk about right we don't talk about that drugs work that drugs help people feel better that if you were thinking a certain way and you would like to think differently you could use a drug and by drug i'm always including alcohol because i Mm -hmm. i do as a side note think it's uh we very much love our alcohol so much that we don't want it to hang around with dirty dirty drugs so we say alcohol and drugs Mm -hmm. versus alcohol and other drugs Mm -hmm. um yes yeah sorry i'm i've lost where i was going on that but (laughs) well that's okay we found it it's i find it interesting so i mean we know that this is a symptom and we know that it's a tool I always refer to it as a tool, uh, you know, with a somatic background, I talk about the amygdala response. I'm like, this is the amygdala is responding. The RPM gauge is at the red line. It needs action, fight, flight, freeze, comfort. Let's go. And if your only tool is alcohol, then you're grabbing the alcohol. That's the end of the story. Mm-hmm. So the job isn't to wrestle with a demon of some sort. That's not, that's a, I would call that a red herring. You're like mm-hmm. not looking mm-hmm. in the right direction. It, it is to figure out, okay, well, what is the tool giving you? What do you mm-hmm. need here? And then, you know, if you go deeper look from the trauma perspective, okay, well, what core wound is activating and what need has been dismissed? So how do we fall back into trying to sort out what you need to give yourself? Mm-hmm. And that is a big job. Yeah. One of my, uh, one of my pretty standard questions when I'm first, uh, first meeting with someone is what do you like about being high? Mm. What do you like about drinking or getting drunk? And, you know, not a single person I've worked with is like, ah, I just don't give a crap. Meh. 
it's this is the only way I know how to relax. This is the only way I know how to stop my brain from running. This is the only way I know that I can make the memories go away. This is the only way I know how to sleep, right? This is the only way I know how to connect with others, Mm -hmm. right? Like these are fundamental needs that we have as human beings. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, we get to, all of a sudden we get a much bigger picture of the substance use Yes, it's causing problems, but like you said, is it's just one pebble of like a beach of what's going on for this mm-hmm. person. Yeah, it's a great way to look at it because it's it's a tool. Mm-hmm. It's a, so you cast that aside. Absolutely. And so yeah. so in your practice, how do we how do you move from you, you've already given a couple of questions, but mm. how do you get at the core wound? So does it start with identifying identifying the symptoms? trying to understand the flavors that the symptoms are giving off like what's what's underneath this how, how do we find that uh that's a great question uh so i am very eclectic in my in my approach and kind of individualize it for uh each person um but i think that often what comes up is i often hear the oversized inner critic mm-hmm. i often hear a client uh, talking about how what a shitty person they are because they used again and you mm-hmm. know why can't they get this and you know they know it's bad and so sometimes it's about starting there like okay so this oversized inner critic what's that about where does that come from mm-hmm. you know um what's the intention behind it and often that can be a way of opening up what what's the core belief mm-hmm. um and using some visuals uh around like where do you feel that in your body mm-hmm. right and drawing this out i'm i'm getting much better at my gingerbread freeform gingerbreads um where do you feel that in your body what is that saying what does that feeling say mm-hmm. um it um say to your brain right mm-hmm. if you're feeling tightness in your chest and it's telling your brain just get over it. Don't be, Mm -hmm. don't be a wimp. Right. Okay. And so when did you first start hearing that? When did Mm -hmm. you first start? Like how, how old were you when you first felt like you were a wimp for feeling like this? Mm -hmm. Right. That is so crucial. Yeah. And then all of a sudden we go back into, okay, I was seven and this, okay, what was going on when you were seven? Uh, you know, my parents were divorcing or had to go to separate houses or um, I was, you know, I had to put on a happy face when my family was in turmoil, like all mm-hmm. the different things that come up. And we look at, you know, and these are, I'm drawing from several different practitioners, include, including Gabor Mate's Compassion Inquiry, um, other trauma trainings I've done, but the, in getting to the, the core beliefs of I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't deserve love, belonging, right? Because as, as children, we, uh, we make up stories to fill in the gap of why our needs aren't getting met, mm-hmm. right? So, and we often internalize that. So it's my fault that I'm not getting my needs Mm -hmm. uh, met because I'm a bad kid. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it's often what I hear come up pretty consistently is the shame, Mm -hmm. is the, 
And we all have an inner critic. Nothing wrong with having an inner critic. It's kind of the Jiminy critic on our cricket on our shoulder, but it's when it becomes so big that, you know, what we see is, is people needing to use to manage that. Right. Yeah. What speaks to me with that is uh, I call that inner critic weaponized shame. Oh, I like it. And that's because for me with the, from the scholarly work to the personal work to what I've been seeing, all of these inner critics have come from somewhere, a reaction to an event, but it's also reinforced by how either people were talking to us, what we saw and how we interpreted it. Um, but it's always a, like weaponized judgment uh, in a way that's trying to keep us in step with the people around us, like staying in community. So like if I overstep, I have to argue with myself to get back in line or something like that. Uh-huh. So depending on how we grew up and what I like about what you were saying, so this is something I use a lot because it's how I see it. If you're seven years old and that's when the inner critic or the shame first gets weaponized, then the tool to weaponize shame to keep you in step is at a maturity level of a seven-year-old. Yes. So if you're 38 years old and you're still using that and it's heavy and you're trying to use logic, like your prefrontal cortex, to, to, com- to combat it, mm. well, you're not really noticing, and you can't because how, how can you, uh, that it's a maturity level of a seven-year-old. You can't have a logical conversation at that point. It's emotion and physical. And what's fascinating is it's invisible. Mm-hmm. We just believe this is who we are. Mm-hmm. This is ju- we just believe this is who we are. We just believe this is the way the world works. We just believe this is what relationships look like. Mm-hmm. So there's no questioning because curiosity isn't safe, right? That's right. We, we um, the other thing about our our seven year old in this discussion is that seven year olds don't have power and control. Mm-hmm. They don't have resources. They don't have the ability to make changes in where they live, who they live with, what's going on. They may or may not have the safety of even sharing what's going on. And so what we also see is, you know, this is adaptive behavior where that seven-year-old's like, I've got to just internalize it and figure it out on my own. Mm -hmm. Where if, you know, that 38-year-old was put in a similar situation, they would have all these different tools, mm-hmm. right? So it is coming from that. And again, I see that as a, uh, a much more compassionate place of like, you're doing the best you can with what you got. That's right. So let's make visible some of the invisible webs, some of the, I often call it, um, call it um, the operating system. You had an operating system downloaded onto you. Let's see what's working where you want it to be and let's see where it might be helpful to upgrade, right? Mm -hmm. And shift things out. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, bang on, exactly. Yeah, I like that operating system analogy too. And I mean, so part of what I do in my practice, so you can help me with this from an addiction perspective is we'll look back on that seven-year-old memory, let's say. Yeah. And we'll take a look at when this developed and then I'll think, I'll say, okay, you know, we know what happened. We know Mm -hmm. what you got and we know what crystallized for you. So we know the skills you developed over time. From a seven-year-old's perspective, can you figure out what you need? What did you need there? Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. And then you can say, okay, from a 38-year-old's perspective, if a seven-year-old child was in front of you dealing with this, what did they need? And typically that's a wide open door to find out the need that led to the core wound right in there. 
I, exactly. So I, what would you, what would you like the seven-year-old to know? Mm-hmm. What's really helpful? You know, what would be, um, if you could talk to that seven-year-old, what would you want to see? Right. Mm-hmm. It's also the, the other piece of self-acceptance. So we're not, we're not fighting against these parts. We're not crapping on the seven-year-old for not doing, you know, a better job. We're not crapping on the 38-year-old who's been using the seven-year-old skills. It's about, you know, part of it is the intention. What's the intention? You, you touched upon this, right? What's the intention of that oversized critic Mm -hmm. or that weaponized shame? Well, typically it's about safety. Mm -hmm right? Staying safe. It's about protection. It's about inclusion. Um, So I was lucky enough um, to be able to do a workshop with Chris Germer, um, who works a lot with Kristen F on self-compassion. And he did this beautiful exercise of like, okay, let's take something that's a weaponized shame thing, an oversized inner critic, you know, why does, why does your oversized inner critic not want you to do the X, Y, Z? Well, how is it um, harmful? Okay. So recognizing that what's the intention behind it? Well, the oversized critic doesn't want you to hurt anymore. I want you to stop doing the things that are making you hurt. Mm -hmm. Okay. How can we maintain the intention, but change the language into a more compassionate place. Like, what would you say to a friend who is struggling with this issue, right? What would you say to a loved one? Um, Because that's often a great way of being able to unlock the language Mm -hmm. of compassion, but because people tend to be very compassionate to others and struggle to do it with themselves. Um, And so that, again, gets us into the So let's help get you what you need. Let's support you. Let's build up that toolbox. So right now you've got alcohol and a couple of other things. Let's build it up and give you permission to need those things, right? Mm -hmm. And be able to use your 38-year-old self because now you do have power and control. Now you Mm -hmm. do have resources. Now you do have choices um, to how do you connect to others at this time? How do you stay safe? So I, I, I often see there's a lot of internal conflict. I'm really excited. I'm going to be, um, doing, uh, internal family systems training next week mm. for two full days. Cause I feel like that's going to be uh, super supportive and, and that's kind of, you know, I specialize in working with people who have problematic substance use and substance use disorders, but it is not unlike all the other tools That's right. that other therapists use. I just have that framework that I'm working within um, and the experience of, of seeing people go up and down and all around with their substance use. But yeah, yeah. Trying to step away from just solving the substance use. Just yeah, stop the substance so use. Uh, it's so important and it, it relates What's sparking a lot for me, I'm glad you brought up uh, internal family systems. So I have a book behind me and a lot of my training was like interspersed within. But I tend to look at a lot of the problems that people go through like that. Whether it's anxiety, depression, substance use, uh, anhedonia. I deal with male mental health and a lot of what I deal with is vulnerability issues, which through trauma leads to something like anhedonia, where you're completely divorced from your feelings. And you can kind of feel like a robot. You're like, why don't I feel anything? And what we can do in that particular case, similar to what we were talking about with substances, 
It's not that you can't feel anything. It's that you have a tool in place because that is so painful that your amygdala is like, nope, I'm going to cast that aside for now because it's too painful. Mm-hmm. And there's too much danger here. So it's one thing I always say, and I haven't been corrected yet, so we're gonna, I'm going to keep waiting for it, but is we are never, the brain never self-sabotages. Mm-hmm. Ever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything mm-hmm. we're doing is for a very safe reason. It's for safety. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's so damn important not to judge how we're treating ourselves as good or bad just is it efficient is this for who you are now is that how you want things to go because your amygdala and your prefrontal cortex when danger is present they're not communicating your amygdala's job is to keep you safe your prefrontal cortex job is to live your life and pursue and goal and curiosity all these things so long-term consequences be damned when these things happen because like i said when your pants are on fire you want to douse them with water simple Mm -hmm. as that Mm -hmm. and so that's right so when we work from an absence only perspective we're asking people to give up the one tool they know Mm -hmm. helps them function Mm -hmm. and puts them in such a vulnerable place of just having their pants on fire Mm -hmm. that's right and there's a lot of work that has to come out the back end way Mm -hmm. before that happens Mm -hmm. Which I think is amazing. And I like the emotional regulation piece. So, I mean, with internal mm-hmm. family systems, how do you, I know you're just being trained in it so far, mm-hmm. but you use a lot of the language, like the critical voice is a big one for mm-hmm. me. I call that the safety manager. So I have a client yeah. picture yeah. themselves in like a, a gym, you know, like a high school gym sitting in the middle with a chair and there's like chairs all around them. And each of these chairs represent a different piece of them that are vying for control to either keep safe, be curious, have a laugh, all these little pieces of you, but you're in the middle. And oftentimes what happens with traumatic experiences is the safety manager has the megaphone. Yeah. And you don't. And that's not because you're broken or there's a problem. It's because you're in safety. You're in the heat of it. So the safety manager has to have that megaphone. The job is to ease off the environment and increase coping capacity so that you can find your voice again. So the safety manager is okay relinquishing control. Uh-huh. Yeah, right? It mm-hmm. all makes sense. It all makes sense. And this is this is part of the work, right? Uh, when we're supporting people is, is lending the compassion. I often have clients, you know, nope can't be compassionate to myself. It's my fault. La, la. And I'm like, I have so much compassion for you. I will lend you some, I will give you some until you can do that on your own. Because that message of everything you're doing is making sense. And it's always about trying to take trying to be okay. Mm-hmm. Right? Is such a different message than what our clients get anywhere else. Mm-hmm in the legal system, in our society, in their families, in treatments, mm-hmm. right? In a lot of different treatments. Like I remember working one of my, um, for, um, I worked in an inpatient treatment center for youth. It was 16 to 24, abstinence-based, mm-hmm. not trauma-informed, mm-hmm. Youth were, had to go there for, it started off six months and then got shortened to four months. No school, right? Mm. And it was really about like, don't use drugs, 
don't mm-hmm. use drugs, mm-hmm. don't use drugs, right? And they were using a peer support model that many people find uh, very helpful and many people find very limiting and shaming. Um, but that was our only focus. And I'm just like, oh, you know, my heart hurts for the opportunities that were missed to be able to support young people mm-hmm. in being like, this is a tool, you're, you're not a bad kid. Mm. right uh you're not an awful person Mm. there's you've got a lot going on with very little resources and using alcohol and other drugs fits for you right like let's come at it from that perspective so you know what's interesting is we have um clients with a lot of internal shame but that gets reinforced by the external shaming as well and that's why i think it's so important to on a global level shift our understanding around problematic substance use and substance use disorders yeah that's so important and i guess and it does start with language i guess for the client and for society at large mm-hmm. and mm. so, and the, the, yeah go ahead yeah oh just and you know so it's interesting like we you know bring in mindfulness right mm-hmm. can you be aware of what's happening in this moment without judging it and i just read this is um sticking with me um this past week is mindfulness is recognizing what is right now mm-hmm. self-compassion is what do you need mm-hmm. and both of the is a practice of like without judgment mm-hmm. because there's so much judgment Right. And yet when we can provide ourselves with what we need, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's that's so self-nurturing and so um, taking care of ourselves and it expands that toolbox. Right. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, sometimes often um, alcohol and other drug use is about, you know, I need connection. Um, this is how I get it, or I need pain relief. I don't know how to ask for it. I don't know. It's not, or, you know, all the different core beliefs Mm -hmm. around it's not okay. It's not okay to be angry. It's not okay to be sad. It's not okay to like, well, don't let your discomfort make anybody else uncomfortable. Right. Mm -hmm. So we see all of that, that play out Um, and like helping, helping our, our folks, you know, almost reparent themselves. Can you mm-hmm. give, can that 38 year old give them, like you mentioned, give them what they need today? I think that's so critical. So when it comes to the therapeutic relationships, when people walk mm-hmm. in, how does this play out? That's a big piece of that, I think, is the therapeutic relationship and how we set the mm-hmm. stage. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I find it a little funny whenever I meet, uh, I provide 15 minutes free consultations, anybody who just wants to have a chat and connect, um, and see if it's a good fit. And I start by talking about myself in the sense of, I talk about coming from a trauma informed and harm reduction approach. And I explain what that is and what that looks like. And it's quite, um, it happens quite regularly where the relief on the other end of the phone is just it's audible right they're like oh okay because i don't know if i want to quit altogether i just know that sometimes it's problematic or yes i know that where this is coming from and so trying right off the stage to to put those very clear messages out um and to provide right off that hot right off that first phone call 
safety and compassion. Mm. Right. That really sets the stage because we do know that in most studies, the therapeutic relationship is the highest, it's the main reason for positive outcomes for, mm-hmm. across disciplines. So I, I did often wonder how that plays out in uh, dealing with problematic substance use, although I suspected it was the same because it's a yeah, non judgmental environment and it's not because we're like flighty. We're just like, ah, whatever. Yeah. It's because it's it's an honest human interaction. That's right. We're very much, um, I'm very much presenting that compassionate, understanding, validating source, right? That space where they can talk about whatever their experience is around substance use. And it's like, yeah, that makes sense. Of course. Mm right? Like, okay, let's talk about that. And so um, nothing becomes about like, oh, God, what? I mean, and, and as trained therapists, <laughs> most of us have, you know, don't uh, respond ever in, in those ways. But yeah, it's no different, right? That's, it's role modeling, mm-hmm. right? What I, I'm hoping the client will be able to do for themselves one day that validating, that compassion, the, Hey, I, you know, there's a lot of, um, again, this comes from, um, certain peer support groups where you count your, your days of practicing abstinence. I also Mm. use the term practicing abstinence versus being abstinence Mm. every day is a practice. Right. And Mm -hmm. when we talk about things as a practice, there's no expectation of perfection. Because there's nothing in this world as a human being that we start, we're like, I'm going to learn how to snowboard. I'm going to learn how to knit. I'm going to learn how, um, you know, uh, Spanish mm-hmm. that we then do perfectly. Mm-hmm. Even if our intention is to do it really well, work really, really hard at it. You are going to make mistakes along the way. So we talk about it as a practice. So when people are practicing abstinence and let's say they, they use, right? Maybe it's a day, maybe it's a month, maybe it's a year. You know, it's like, oh, I've lost that, that pra- I've lost that abstinence. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, you can never go back to square one. You've learned too much. You've experienced mm-hmm. what life was like. And so sometimes reframing that. So, for example, having a client who had gone 150 days without using uh, um, a substance, and then he used for two days mm-hmm. and then he was so upset and so shaming and like, what's wrong with me and how could I do this? And I was like, so what you're telling me is that you were able to practice abstinence 150 out of 152 days. Mm-hmm. That's pretty amazing. What a shift. What a shift, mm-hmm. right? Or another client who, you know, has a year, but in that there's been four you know, four slips throughout the year. And so we did them, we, as a social worker, I'm not a math fan, but we did the math and it was like, you have been practiced sobriety for this many days. So really working from a strength base and working, I often will also use this idea of upward spiral, right? We want an upward spiral. That's why part of working from a harm reduction approach is every tiny little change or thing that you've practiced is awesome mm-hmm. because it shows you it gives you evidence that oh you wanted to brush your teeth this morning and you brush your teeth this morning 
you can do it, right? And if you can do that, maybe you can brush your teeth and your hair. And I'm using silly examples, but like that concept of, for people who have the goal of, I would like to be, for example, abstinent. I would like to practice abstinence on a regular basis. That is the long, that's like down the road goal. Mm -hmm. We've got all these little pieces because success and failure can't be based on are you or are you not sober? Mm -hmm. That's right. Right? It's about, you know, creating more uh, mindfulness, creating more self-compassion. It's about coming up with uh, practical skills. Sometimes I am guilty of, I'm like, let's dive into core beliefs. And a person's like, can I just figure out how to like manage my cravings for a week? I'm like, absolutely. Yes, of course. Let's back it up. So there's the practical pieces, Mm -hmm. you know, to support a person in staying healthy and increasing quality of life, even if they're still using. And then there's the the larger pieces around it as well. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, uh, a common um, a common strategy around uh, working with cravings, you know, I asked the question about like, what are you trying to get besides using? Is there any other way that you can get relief or you can get relaxation or you can get comfort? But then, you know, there's also, can you give yourself permission? If I still feel like this in five minutes, I'll use. Mm-hmm. And so that delay technique and people are like five minutes, that's nothing. Hey, you keep practicing five minutes of sitting with that discomfort all of a sudden, right? We're increasing distress mm-hmm. tolerance. Maybe you can do 10 minutes. Maybe you can do 15. Maybe you can do eventually half an hour, but you need to see if you can do it for five minutes before all of that. Mm-hmm. So, and that's the other piece. There's this expectation that, and you know, if people see it as a behavior, you're using, right? You're picking up a glass, you're drinking it. You are, you know, cutting up cocaine, you're rolling a joint. We see it as a behavior. And so typically what happens is we go, well, if a behavior is causing your problems, just stop it, mm-hmm. stop mm-hmm. it. Um, and people kind of get stuck in that of like, well, I know this is causing me problems, so I should just stop it. And what I encourage folks to look at is you're running a marathon. Mm-hmm. Right. This is a this is a process. Um, often because you know use doesn't start out problematically. It starts out great. Most mm-hmm. people don't experience you know significant issues until many years into. Though of course that's individual for everyone, but many years into it, right? Mm-hmm. So we have a lot of years that you've been practicing your brain, your body, your emotional has been practicing going to this tool going to take time Mm -hmm. right it's going to take time to switch out the operating system right Mm -hmm. of even knowing what the operating system what you're operating within those core beliefs and then being able to shift that uh so that it can be uh, more supportive yeah so that it takes time Mm -hmm. and it's about building quality of life Mm -hmm. right so less emphasis on not did you and did, did you or did you not use today? Did you or did you not use this week? But more about what's been working in your world, right? Solution focused, you know, strength based. Mm-hmm. What's been working? What what are you really proud about? What did you do this week that you're like yes? Um, because we want to support this movement of of having evidence that change is possible, that agency is possible. Mm-hmm. right 
that their goals are po uh, possible, but we do it in sort of bite-sized pieces. Yeah, I think that's very smart. And it, it works across the board in the mental health field, regardless of what you're working on. Hey, one of the things that I find amazing, and so I'll take, this is the, the last question I'll throw at you for today, but yeah. once the work has begun, you're knee deep mm -hmm. in the work. Mm -hmm. And so now the tools are shifting. Mm -hmm. Patterns are shifting. They're becoming more aware of them. Uh, the world starts to look different for them because the lens is now shifting. So that's another layer that they have to, or we all do in the work that we do personally. Uh, it's almost like encountering the real in a new way because the mm -hmm. world looks very different. Mm -hmm. And so there's work around getting used to that lens as well and getting used to what reality looks like now that that lens has been shelved. Yeah. Yeah. That is one of the, one of the challenges about recovery is often recovery. Again, when we come from the place, drug, the drugs, the problem, just stop the drug. If you stop the drug, everything will be fine. Right. Mm -hmm. So recovery is sometimes seen as this rainbows and leprechauns and unicorns. And it's mm -hmm. going to be great. And often it's not mm -hmm. because let's say a person does has a goal of abstinence, they're able to practice abstinence on a regular basis. And so that's no longer an issue. Mm. All of a sudden, that's when they start seeing the other issues that are present. Mm -hmm. Problems in relationships, uh, problems in jobs, right? Having an unsatisfying job, unsatisfying relationship, um, all these other pieces, um, which then people are like, damn, right? Because it's really easy to scapegoat the use, mm -hmm. right? It's really easy in a family to say, well, because you're using, this is all, all the family's issues are yours. Or because you're using, this is why we're having problems in our marriage. Or because you're, mm -hmm. you're using, this is why you're having problems in the job. So, you know, a new reality kind of, like you said, sort of like, oh, yes, my use contributed to bits and pieces, but it's not the whole enchilada. Mm -hmm. And that idea of like, okay, yes. And now there's, where do you go from there? Where do you want to go? But because, you know, the hope is, my hope is to work myself out of a job, right? Mm -hmm. My hope is mm -hmm. to like pass on the tools, support a person to the point where they're supporting themselves. And they're like, yeah, you know, maybe I'll see you in a month. Mm -hmm. Right. Or maybe we can like cut our session short. I was like, great. Um, but hoping that they take those tools, mindfulness, self-compassion, emotional regulation, uh, self-acceptance, all of that and apply it in all the other aspects of their life. Right. And to also support people in remembering that everybody's got problems. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's okay. And the problems you're experiencing now aren't because you struggle with substance use. They're just problems people have regardless. Yeah. The because because we... you're human. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I'm such a huge fan of like, yes, so that's human. And, and not because, and again, you said it beautifully, not because you're broken, not because mm -hmm. of, not even because you were, uh, you know, struggling with substance use, just because this is the human experience. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the the pieces when we do kind of formal self-compassion, where it's the mindfulness, the common humanity, um, 
And then the self-kindness is that common humanity, right? Because we know how important it is, that inclusion, that connection, and how I know I've experienced, I'm sure you have, and everybody who's listening, when you're like, you you tell a friend or it tells therapist, you're like, oh, I did this thing. And the person's like, oh yeah, I did that too. And you're like, oh God, it's not me. Okay. Okay. This is just a thing. (laughs) This is just a thing. And then you can let it go. Yeah. I always say, welcome to being human. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And so does my therapist. She's like, well, yeah, being human. Yeah. I know. And I'm like, man, I thought I could beat the beat the humanness. But no, no, this is exactly. So really like um, when working with folks who are struggling with substances, when thinking about policies um, around uh, drugs, it's let's think about this as how do we support people who are really struggling, right? How do we support people who are doing the best? And we've long gotten away, though I'm sure again, like I mentioned, there's still some stigma, but we've long gotten away from saying to someone who's experiencing depression, just stop it, Mm -hmm. right? Right, we don't punish people for being depressed. Mm -hmm. We don't, at least not formally. Um, So we need to also create that compassion and that different way of of supporting people um, in in treatment, in counseling, um, and in society and in our our laws and policies too. I completely agree. Mm -hmm. Well, Amanda, this has been fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. This has been wonderful, lovely chatting with you today. Excellent. And I want to give one more uh, chance. Well, one more chance. That was very hilarious. Uh, just, to give, <laughs> just to give yourself a shout out to make sure that people know where to find you. Great. Okay. So my website is amandanilson, N-E-I-L-S-O-N.com. Uh, lots of information there, including my email address, my phone number. I welcome people to call, ask questions, connect. Um, I'm also uh, facilitating a full day workshop on November 27th with the Canadian Counseling and Psychotherapy Association called Substance Use, A Human Response to Trauma. It is open to all folks, but different um, different costs depending on whether you're a member or not. Um, also, shout out to Rita Wood Addiction and Family Services. It is a nonprofit agency that supports everyone affected by problematic substance use and substance use disorders, including youth, including family members. Um, And we also have a gambling program that has a family member program there as well. So uh, really great resources. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it. And thank you, everybody, for listening. If you have any questions or comments, you can shoot them at my Instagram account, Couch dot to dot couch and we'll take it from there and we'll see you next week okay bye. take your care